So I have a question for you. We're going to start by a little question by a show of hands. How many of you have heard of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Raise your hand if you've heard of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Okay, pretty much everybody. Okay, how many of you have read the book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Okay, six of you. Great. So that just shows that's the definition of a classic, that everybody's heard of it, but nobody's actually read it. So, so the actual story is called The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It was written in 1886, 135 years ago. And it's a story, uh, and you probably know this, but it's a story about Dr. Jekyll, who's kind of the good guy, and then Mr. Hyde, who is the bad guy. It's the same person, but at different times, most late at night, I believe, is my understanding, is that Mr. Hyde comes out and he does evil things and he has bouts of anger. Um, but Dr. Jekyll um, wants Mr. Hyde to go away, basically. Uh, but he can't figure it out. So, spoiler alert. However, if you haven't read this in 135 years, you probably are not going to read this now. So, I'm not really spoiling anything. Uh, but in the end... Uh, Jekyll kills himself because he can no longer control Mr. Hyde, who keeps coming out from inside of him and doing these kind of atrocious things. I share that with you this morning because we're going to be in the book of Romans continuing, and we're going to look at chapter 7 this morning. And chapter 7 really could be subtitled Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, because it, it's, a, it's a chapter where Paul pulls back the curtain of his life, and kind of shares the struggles that he has with life and wanting to do and kind of what he can't do and what he wants to do. And we're going to look at this. And as we do, what we're going to discover, I think, is that all of us have that same sort of struggle that Paul has, where it's kind of a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing, where there's, there's sort of two natures within us. So that's what we're going to do this morning. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 14. And uh, let's pray together, can we? Heavenly Father, as we uh, look into this passage, as we try and understand it, as we try and see ourselves in it, as we understand who you are and, and how you interact with us, God, I pray that you would give us insight. Um, I pray that you would give us integrity of heart um, in, in what is actually going on in our lives, whether we're willing to share that with anybody else or not. But God, I pray that you would speak to us through these verses and help us to understand this kind of battle that goes on within us um, and how you can win this battle that goes on within us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to begin in verse uh, 14. It says this. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, for the next 10 verses, uh, Paul is going to talk about the struggle that he has with sin. And he, and he uses a word here that's going to come up a number of times, but it's the word flesh. And the word flesh is, is his way of talking about the part of him that pulls him towards sin. And so he's going to, and I'm going to kind of give you the, pre, give the kind of the overview, and then we're going to look at it in detail. But basically, here's the problem. Here's the summary of the problem, is I don't want to sin, but I do. I don't want to sin. I recognize what sin is. I don't want to go there, but yet I do. And then over the course of the rest of this chapter, 
Paul talks about kind of the different aspects of it. There's about four or five different aspects, and we're going to talk through that. But the first one he says in this verse, he says, I am of the flesh. And one of the things that you're going to see is that Paul takes responsibility for his own actions. And he uses the word I 27 times over the course of this passage. And, you know, and for Paul, I mean, Paul was an apostle. Paul was a great man. God, I mean, Paul was, he was the stuff, he wrote the Bible. It would be easy for him to play the comparison game and go, well, I don't really sin that much. I, don't, I certainly don't sin as much as this person or that person. And, I mean, he's constantly around people who are far from God. He doesn't play the comparison game. He takes responsibility and he says, I sin." And he's going to talk about sin that's within him, and he expands on that. But he takes responsibility for his sin. He doesn't blame it on other people. He doesn't play comparison games. So I don't sin that much. He takes responsibility. And part of us, as, we're, as we deal with this, need to have that same sort of attitude. Let me reread to you verse 15. He says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. He says, I don't understand why I keep doing this. I want to live better. I want to live free. I want to live the way that Christ wants me to live, but I keep falling back into sin. He goes, I I don't get it. I don't understand why that happens to me. If you were here last uh, Sunday, Jay gave the message, um, and apparently he stole my water bottle holder also. So Jay, wherever you are, I'm coming after you, Um, because I have to stretch like a whole three feet to get my water. But it says this, this, so Jay finished the message last week, and he played a hymn, and it was fantastic, but then he said these words, and I jot them down, he said, let's walk out of the jail of sin into freedom. And I love that statement. Let's walk out of the jail of sin, sin into jail, and let's walk out of that into freedom. And I left here last week going, yes, that's what I want. That's the life that God describes for me, walking out of the jail of, sin, of the sin jail into freedom. But the problem is, for me and for Paul, and I'm going to guess for all of us, is that we walk out of the jail cell of sin, and we begin to live free, and then we run back in. And then we walk out 20 or 30 feet, and then we run back in, and we go, and we don't want to, and we're like, why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep returning to the sin that I don't want to commit? And that's exactly what Paul is talking about. He says, I do not understand what I do. I do the thing I don't want to do, and I don't know why. And we have that same sort of thing. You know, one of the things that you may struggle with, and you can kind of see this illustrated here pretty clearly, is that many of us struggle with addictions of different types. Maybe you struggle with alcohol. Maybe you struggle with drugs. Maybe you struggle with pornography. Maybe you struggle with overeating. Maybe you struggle with undereating. Maybe you struggle with spending. Maybe you struggle with gambling. And your life gets all messed up, right? And that happens, and you go... No more. I'm done. I will never, and then you film, I'll never do that again. Whatever that is, I'm not going there again. And then two days later, you return to it. Or two weeks later, or two months later. Like, it works for a bit, and then 
we fall back into it. He goes, what's wrong with me? That's what Paul is saying. And he continues on. He says, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And he reaches this point of frustration. He says, sin still dwells in me. And it's interesting, Paul was the same person who wrote 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, if anyone's in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. And so you, you look at that and you say, well, I don't get it. Like, if I'm a new creation, then why am I still st- stuck in sin? And you can sense the frustration coming out in Paul's voice. And you can kind of sense it in us as, as you, if you slow down and think about it. It's like, that is frustrating. I was reading a, a theologian this week um, who I thought said this really well. He said, when we become Christians, we get a new heart but we still have our old bodies. And so there's a process that we go through. So although you sin, God still looks at you and says, you are a new creation, but yet our bodies take a while to catch up with that. And that can be frustrating. Then in verse 18, it says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. But if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who who do it, but sin who dwells in me. He's saying, my own willpower is not enough to do it. I know what's right. I have the desire to do what's right. And then he says, but not the ability to carry it out. And you can try and change by our own willpower, but it just doesn't work. And so we go, it's, it's the sin in me, and I can't get rid of the sin, and it's still there, and I'm going to try, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. But we don't change, because our willpower is not enough. Then he continues on. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do evil, excuse me, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. But I delight in the law of God in my inner being. For I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I talked about our members, the parts of our body. There are areas of our lives where sin dwells. And it's good to take inventory of that and say, what are the areas of my life where sin is dwelling? But he says in here, he says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. You know, for him, he, he would look at all the commands that God gave in the Old Testament. We would look at the Bible and say, this book is good. This book points us to how to live life in relationship with God, how to live good relationships with other people. It tells us so much about how to live life, but yet we try and live this by our own willpower, and we fail over and over again. And then in verse 24, he says this. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And he uses this term. He says, 
wretched man that I am. And that word wretched man, it literally means worn out from exhaustion. He says, I am worn out from exhaustion. I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying to be what God wants me to be, to honor God in all of that. But I can't. You know, and even as you look at the areas of your life, you could look at your, how you handle your finances or you could look at your marriage or the way that you parent or your prayer life or how you are at work or the thoughts that go on in your mind or where you place your value, or how much you trust God. You look at all of those areas, and you could say, do I honor God in this, or am I still struggling? Because the struggle is real. That's the title of the message, that where, which areas would you look at in your life and say, this is a struggle for me. This is the one that I need to put before God. This is the one that I need to figure out, where you'd say, wretched am I. I am worn out from trying to fix this part of my life on my own. And then verse 25 gives part of the answer. He says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That's the short answer. He says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That the answer lies with God. And then what's going to happen over the next 11 verses in chapter 8 is he's going to explain how it is that God solves this problem. But before we look at chapter 8, I want to just sum the problem up one more time. The problem is I don't want to sin, but I do. And you may look at one area of your life or three areas or a whole area, but I would encourage you as we look at this next passage and what Paul says in response, to have something in mind or a couple areas in mind where you go, yeah, this is where I want to stop sinning, but man, I just can't stop. So here's the solution, and what we're going to see, 11 verses, and it'll be a threefold solution. Verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Here's the first thing, is remember this, that you are forgiven. That you are forgiven. And that is huge to understand this whole thing that God wants to do in our lives. Because I think what happens sometimes is we struggle with a sin over and over, whatever that is, and we're like, you know, if I'm struggling with this sin so much, maybe I'm not even a Christian. Maybe this whole thing isn't real. Maybe God's not real, because if I'm not overcoming this sin, then, then maybe this whole thing's not real, or, or maybe I don't really believe, and that lie can kind of go through our heads. You know, it's interesting. I actually think the opposite is true. If you struggle with sin, I think that's the perfect indication that you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. Because you care. Because it matters to you. 
You see, there are people all around, friends, community people all around the world, that they sin, but they don't give a rip. Like, they don't care. They're like, whatever, party on, who cares? Like, like, you know, I mean, you know people like that. People who don't, people who don't have a God conscience, who don't have the Holy Spirit, they don't feel guilty about the sin that you feel guilty about, right? And so the very fact that you recognize that this is sinful and you don't want to do it, even though you haven't been able to overcome it, is a recognition that God is in you and is at work in you. Continues this theme over the next couple of verses, verse 3 and 4. He says, For he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live... Hang on, i got to stop there. So it says, he's saying that those who have... Hang on, I'm a little confused here. My bad, I'm thinking... Time out, time out. Here we go. All right. See, I don't do what I want to do. I was just, that's just the illustration. I want to get the words out straight. They're not coming out straight. Golly. So here we go. But here's the thing. It says, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Okay. A couple weeks ago, we might need to bring the stage lights on a little brighter over on this side. Um, but a couple weeks ago, I shared with you an illustration And I want to share it with you again for a slightly different reason, but to kind of expand on it. What we said is this represents our lives. This is kind of the purity that God created us to be and to live in, to look like, right? But what happens is that we sin. And so we've got this little container um, that represents sin. And when sin comes into our lives, it taints our lives, right? And you can see that. And by the way, I, people ask me about this. It's a very, this is just iodine in water, okay? This is not like some magical transubstantiation thing going on around here, okay? It's just iodine added to water, right? And then we talked about a few weeks ago, we said when we receive Christ into our lives, so this represents Christ. When we receive Christ into our lives, we are purified, Right? And you can see that we become pure. Now, I did this a couple weeks ago, and then afterwards I was talking to Ben Toole about this, and he said, you know what's interesting? If you add more sin into your life, what happens? And I sure hope Ben is right. Otherwise, it's going to flop big time, right? So we add sin into our lives, and we're still clear, Right? And here's why that's so significant, is that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you gave him your sin, and he gave you his righteousness. And so when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ in you. But the day you became a Christian was not the last day that you ever sinned. You continue to sin, I continue to sin. And so we add this, even after Christ is in our lives, When we sin, the blood of Christ still pays the price for our sin. It still covers us. And so as you struggle with sin, remember that you're struggling with sin, but Christ still died for those sins that you have committed. Now, 
Over the next seven verses, we're going to see the second and third part of this threefold solution to the struggle that is going on within us. So I'm going to read you, this is um, beginning of verse 4, and just kind of read and then stop and comment and then kind of give you the two solutions at the end. So verse 4, it says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So he's talking here, he says that we, part of the solution is we walk according to the Spirit. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you ever watch two people walking down the sidewalk or walking down the road, when they're walking next to each other, have you ever noticed that they're always walking in sync with each other? Like you never see them kind of mixed up in there. It's like when you walk with somebody, you just walk, you end up walking naturally with the same gait or in sync with them. And that's true when we walk with the Holy Spirit, that we begin to walk kind of at the pace that He walks with us. And then it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So the question is, where do you set your mind? Do you set your mind on the things of the flesh? Or do you set your mind on the things of the Spirit? And he says this, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now, it's kind of an obvious question, but like, what do you want? Do you want death or do you want life and peace? And when he's talking about death, he's not talking about physical death, he's talking about spiritual death. He's talking about death in terms of just the way that sin eats away at our lives. I read um, a theologian this week, he said, uh, to walk in the flesh is to experience the miseries arising from sin. Like, is that what you want? Do you want to experience the miseries arising from sin? Or do you want life and peace? I think the answer is obvious. And it says this, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So when we walk in the flesh, it says that we're hostile to God, we don't submit to God, and we cannot please God. That's not the life that we're looking for. And then in verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. It's this idea that we have the Holy Spirit in us. If you have the Holy Spirit in you and you walk in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will win the battle, will win the day. And be assured, if you've placed your faith in Christ, then you have the Holy Spirit. But if you've never placed your faith in Christ and you're just kind of trying to battle sin and kind of get rid of it just in your own willpower, then you'll continue to struggle with it indefinitely until you call upon the Holy Spirit to be a part of you and your life. And it concludes with this. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And I love that idea that he who raised Jesus from the dead. If Jesus was raised from the dead, if the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, 
then certainly he can help us in this battle, in this struggle of the sin that's within us. So here's the second and third parts of this solution giving you together. It's feed the spirit, starve the flesh. Feed the spirit, starve the flesh. Feed the spirit, starve the flesh. I want you to imagine something, okay? This will take a little bit of imagination. But I want you to imagine that there's two dogs in a cage, in a kennel, right? And one dog, his name is Spanky. And Spanky is fun. Everybody loves Spanky. He's a very kind dog. He's a great dog, wonderful dog, golden retriever, whatever. Spanky, we love Spanky. And also, in this cage is a dog named Fang, right? And Fang is mean and nasty and probably ugly. And, you know, we, we don't like Fang. But Spanky and Fang are in this cage, this kennel, together. And they fight and they tussle and sometimes Fang wins and sometimes Spanky wins, and, but it kind of gets ugly. Now, if you wanted to help Spanky to win the battle that goes on in this cage, what would you do? You would feed Spanky and starve Fang. And the more that you fed Spanky and gave him protein and kibbles and bits and all that kind of stuff, all that, right, and then you didn't give Fang anything, eventually what would happen? Spanky becomes stronger than Fang. And the same is true in our lives. When it comes to the battle within us, between the flesh and the spirit, that we want to feed the spirit and starve the flesh. So then the question becomes, how do we do that? How do we feed the spirit but starve the flesh? Going back to Romans 8, 5, it tells us exactly how to do that. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So if you want to live according to the Spirit, then set your minds on the things of the Spirit. But if you want to live according to the flesh, then set your mind on the things of the flesh. So how do we set our mind on the things of the Spirit? I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, we're not, it's not necessarily obvious, but we talk about it frequently at River Ridge. We talk about read God's Word. It's about prayer. Read Christian books. Come to church. Be a part of a small group. Be around people who are headed in the same direction. Ask, constantly ask for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit so that you can live according to the Holy Spirit. That's what it means, that we, we feed the Spirit inside of us. But the other side of that is that we also need to starve the flesh and to not let our minds go and to not feed our minds with things of the flesh. And I'm going to shoot straight with you for a minute. And, and, and you may hear what I say and think, gosh, Matt's awfully judgmental. Matt's awfully puritanical. Matt's, you know, and, and if you think that, just send me an email. My email is jtdora at riverridge.org, and that'll be fine, right? But here's the thing. I think that one of the reasons that we struggle with the flesh so much is because we set our minds on the things of the flesh by the things that go into our brains, I mean, honestly, we fill our brains with crap. The TV shows that we watch, the movies 
that we watch, the social media that we consume, the music that we listen to, and on and on the list goes. The conversations that we allow ourselves to be a part of, the magazines that we look at, there's just so much that, that feeds the flesh that's a constant source into our brains. You know, and you may hear that and go, Matt, why are you being so harsh on that? Like, it's not that big of a deal. And here's the thing. is like, I'm not going to give you a list of, like, this is okay and this is not okay. This is okay. This is not okay. Here's the do list and the don't list, the feed the flesh list, the feed the spirit list. I'm not going to do that with movies and TV and social media and all that kind of stuff. But I would challenge you, especially if you're feeling a little prickly, like, Who are you to tell me to watch this movie or not watch that movie? If you're feeling a little prickly about that, go back and read Romans 8, 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And just ask yourself that question. What my mind is on Is it feeding the flesh? Because if it's feeding the flesh, the flesh gets stronger. Or is it feeding the spirit? And if you feed the spirit, the spirit gets stronger as well. And so I just leave you with that thought. To take Romans 8, 5 and to use that as the filter of whether you're going to feed the flesh or feed the spirit. Because like Paul, I think a lot of us are sick of doing what we don't want to do. I want to live for God, but I keep getting sucked back in. And the answer to that is recognize that you live a life where you are not condemned, but you live a life where you feed the Spirit and you starve the flesh.